0: This week's podcastle is brought to you by Audible.com's Neil Gaiman Presents program. Check out audible.com slash NGP. That's for Neil Gaiman Presents to receive a free audiobook download. Podcastle episode 184. November 22nd 2011 Black Swan White Swan by UG Foster Rated R Contains some sex and some profanity
1: Wow you guys have way nicer carpets than we do Way nicer decor too I'm reasonably certain your servants are alive Hello everyone, I'm Alistair, and traditionally, if you hear my voice, chances are the story that comes after it will be true, and not especially happy. I host Pseudopod normally, which is the horror sibling of the wonderful podcastle, but I've been asked to pitch it a little here, and as ever, it's a pleasure to come visit. Firstly, because Dave and Anna are, to my mind, two of the best editors in the business, who are single-handedly and tirelessly educating me that there is such a thing as fantasy I really like, and secondly, because they have really great complimentary coffee and cookies. So let's talk about Audible for a moment. Audible sell audiobooks for iPhones, Blackberries, Android devices, and normal desktop computers that don't let you pretend you're in an episode of a high-tech near-future punk TV show too. They have over 100,000 titles to choose from, and like the Cylons in Battlestar Galactica, they have a plan. That plan is to make some extremely great books available to you. And I'm about to say two magic words for a lot of people. Neil Gaiman. Audible and Gaiman, the award-winning writer, narrator and screenwriter Neil Gaiman, to give him his full name, which probably makes his checkbooks really long, have joined forces to publish in audio a group of hand-selected books that Neil thought were great books and would make excellent audio experiences. As the producer of these titles, Neil selected a book and the narrators he felt were perfectly matched and participated in the production process, and these titles bring to life his vision and interpretation of each individual work. He worked very closely with the authors and narrators during the production process. This isn't something where he simply slapped his name on any old tosh. This is very much the Neil Gaiman show. So much so, in fact, that he gives some of his insights into each book with audio commentary that acts as the introduction to each work, and you can scream... Freudian, slip for a horror show, you can scream. You can stream the intros free at Audible.com forward slash NGP. If you're already an Audible member, you can choose from any of these using your normal credits. If you aren't already an Audible member, you can purchase any of these titles individually. That's the basic details of it. Now here's my take. This is essentially an audiobook film festival curated by Neil Gaiman. Yeah. I mean, let's face it, the only way this thing would be cooler is if Will Wheaton... Hi, Will, by the way, if you're listening, uh was co-hosting it and Felicia Day was moderating the Q&A after show. It's a rolling process, too. The first set of books is out, but Neil will be selecting new ones regularly, so check back for more titles in a couple of weeks. We work with Audible a lot, and... I can honestly say I don't think there's been a better time to jump aboard. This is a fantastic idea, and I for one am pretty fascinated to see what Neil's going to be doing with this. So, like I say, if you're interested, check out audible.com forward slash NGP. This week's story is a particular pleasure to introduce, too, as it comes to us from one of my favourite authors. Yuji Foster's work is a regular feature of the EA cast's numerous anthologies and equally numerous other publications. She's also now fully set up on Kindle, so if you like this piece, go check her work out. It's more than worth it. Her story, Mortal Play, Stone Hearts, taken from the anthology The Dragon and the Stars, is a 2011 Aurora Awards finalist, and uh, recently, Yuji was interviewed by MTV for her work as editor of The Daily Dragon, the DragonCon newsletter. Sleep is her enemy. Sleep, truthfully, is something Yuji not only appears to be at war with, but she appears to be winning. Your narrator this week is Aubrey Staffin-Weeby, who's also responsible for the Circus of Brass and Bone. A post-apocalyptic steampunk story about a circus traveling through the collapse of civilization. Oh come on, be honest—it's me. You've just opened another tab and you're downloading it now, right? I am. It's an online serial story and podcast that can be found at circusofbrassandbone.com. And if you weren't downloading it before, and now you officially have no excuse. As Weeby's market list is Orbra's other project, a searchable, sortable spreadsheet of science fiction, fantasy and horror markets, with a monthly newsletter update that people can subscribe to you by email or RSS feed. Orbra can be found under Orbra's staff in Weeby on Facebook and Google Plus, and blogs as Cloud's Cuddling on LiveJournal. Go say hi. So, before you do, pay no attention to the feathers. Because the swans are flying.
2: Black Swan, White Swan. By Eugi Foster Bird Lake is named after the multitude of avian visitors that summer on the glassy waters—mallards, wood ducks, and Canada geese. But summer is half a year away, and Delia looks out on forlorn blackness, devoid of a single-feathered denizen. The moon, a plump gibbous whiteness, shades the lake and its border of skeleton trees—a stark chiaroscuro. Around the pier, the water is a black mirror, an expanse of fathomless reflection. Delia compliments the scenery, her face carved into pallid lines by inky streamers of hair. No one knows she is there, and no one will find her for months and months, if they ever do. Everyone's got a story to tell. The voice is liquid light, bright and clear as rain who's there delia searches the shoreline distraught at the idea of a trespasser on her solitude but the lakefront remains lonely and still even the ice crystals her words have formed winter's white breath hang motionless in the air concentric circles lap beneath the dock's wooden planks a swan floats out its shining plumage driving the water's void back there's a man across the way The swan fixes Delia with polished Ankh's eyes. Sometimes he's a lighthouse and sometimes he's a train, but silence doesn't scare him. Delia stares at the luminous bird. I don't want a lighthouse or a train, she says. Sometimes he's a shelter in the rain. Delia studies the ripples that pass through the water's surface in the swan's wake. Don't shut the door. "'It puts walls around you,' the swan dips its beak. "'Call me the ocean, and I'll change with the moon. "'You look right through me, but I can see the end of the storm. "'Stop it.' "'Across the way there's a man who holds questions without asking. "'A little piece of heart to guard with a stone wall,' the swan says. "'Or a piece of heart guarded by stone walls. "'Let me in, and we can sing for nights. "'Go away!' The swan warbles, a musical wow, wow, wow. The wild cry startles Delia, and she takes a step back. Her foot catches on a knot jutting from the weathered planks. She unbalances, arms pinwheeling. As she tips into the icy lake, the swan takes wing, arrowing into the sky with a sweep of white feathers. Black arms fold her to a black breast. The cold locks her lungs as water weights her limbs. Delia fights the embrace, even as she acknowledges her relief. When Delia opens her eyes, the white dazzles her, a sail of bleached feathers in a nest of silvery down. She blinks, and the white gains outlines and edges, a pristine bed with white sheets, pale walls and a spotless floor. Welcome back. The man is a blot of shadow scenarious dimension to subdue the light. The slide of sable hair as it brushes his shoulders fragments the whiteness into strands of gray and tan. The Carmen logo on his black T-shirt splashes words so bloody Delia can't read them. Instead, she rests her eyes on the whiteness of his arms, an underlayer of long-sleeved insulation. Even that dims the white, a thermal shirt textured with light-muting crisscrosses. Do you remember anything?" he asks. I fell in the lake. Delia's voice is a broken bell, not the honey and cream she expected. That scares her more than the strange surroundings or the strange man. Her hand flies to her throat, only to be stayed by a tether of translucent tubing, embedded and taped to her arm. Calmly now. It's all right. The hypothermia sent you into cardiac arrest, but you're safe. His smile is bright and wide. My voice, she rasps. We had to intubate you. At her blank look, he explains, We had to insert an endotracheal tube to keep your airways clear. The soreness will pass in a few days. We, she whispers. Ben and I worked on you together. I'm Shay Gainsborough. A doctor. He nods. We looked for ID, but couldn't find any. What's your name? Delia's thoughts are a red needle in a cone of frost, sharp clarity in the fog. Adela, she lies. Adela Branta. Is there someone you'd like me to contact, Adela? I... I don't know. There is a face, rendered in a Monet haze, but nothing else. His brow creases. Can you remember your address or phone number? Your parents? No. Selective amnesia is not uncommon in cases like yours. Try not to be distressed. Recall usually returns in time. She is not distressed. Should she be? Do you know if you have any allergies or are taking any medications? Delia recollects white tablets that make her queasy and blue ones that force her to sleep. selexa and clonopin, But Adela doesn't need psychotropics. Adela wouldn't be bullied into taking medicines she doesn't want to. She shakes her head. Even whispering hurts, like the time she had her tonsils out. She remembers that, too. They gave her ice cream, vanilla with black specks in it. Vanilla beans, they said, but it had disgusted her. She'd flush the polluted confection down the lavatory. But then, Adela doesn't like vanilla ice cream. Adela likes chocolate. Or maybe mint chocolate chip. Are you hungry? he asks. Would you like some broth? She nods, suddenly craving. Although not food, she wants heat and color. He returns with a wooden tray and a pastel blue bowl. The broth is topaz ojou and tastes of salt and savory. He sits attendance on her, watching her eat and making conversation, one-sided entertainment, her eating, his chit-chat. There's a quality to Shea Gainsborough's eyes, they're a silvery-gray like the sky after it rains. Now you're awake and eating on your own, the IV can come out tomorrow. You should know, you've been in a coma for a few days. Delia blinks at the news. When I pulled you from the lake, I thought you were dead, but there's always a chance with hypothermia. Ben wanted to chopper you to the hospital, but I had emergency defib equipment here. Once we got you stabilized, it was safer not to move you. Ben airlifted in the supplies I needed, and we set up a little ICU for you. Delia swallows a final spoonful of broth. Where am I? She whispers. She whispers. Not far from where you fell in. I live on the other side of the lake. Delia remembers the swan's words. Lighthouse and train. He takes away the tray and bowl and leaves her alone in the white nest. Hours pass and she can't sleep. The tube in her arm itches and besides, she's been asleep for days. Delia would have put up with the nuisance and the discomfort, lying there wide-eyed and wakeful. Adela is less forbearing. She peels away the medical tape, grimacing at the smart, and tugs the catheter from her vein. The pinprick hole seeps blood, but stops when she presses a wad of tissue to it. Standing, she is Delia again, uncertain as she wavers on her feet. Dizzy and weak, She's also mortified by the hospital gown with the immodest gape in the back. Then again, the good doctor undoubtedly put her in it, so he's seen whatever there was for modesty to protect. Adela yanks off the ugly gown, leaving it in a puddle at her feet. Briefly, she contemplates the sheet. The notion of playing the heroine, draped dramatically in bed linen, appeals. Nevertheless, she is tired of white." She wanders out, bold in her nakedness. The hallway is full of shadows. Adela dresses herself in those instead, reveling in the luxury of a black cloak draped over bare limbs. An edge of light pierces her mantle, seepage from the gap between door and carpet. Drawn to it, Adela pads on bare feet to push it open. At his desk, Shay Gainsborough is startled by her entrance, the glass of amber fluid half-raised to his lips. A second passes, and his arm remembers what it was about. He downs the liquor, but his eyes on her never flicker. Empty tumbler set aside, he does nothing, says nothing. Adela slinks in, no longer weak or dizzy, even when she feels her garment of shadows leaching off. His bed is wide and lush, the antithesis of her narrow white one. The comforter is a sleek maroon, the sheet's burgundy. Slipping into it is like submerging in a velvety Merlot and is intoxicating. I can't sleep, she whispers through her cracked throat. He stands when she reclines, nestled in yards of wine-dark cloth, and joins her. He tastes of bourbon and the raw tang of heavy mist lying over still water. When he would be tender, she bites him, raking her teeth across his shoulder. He swears, and she laughs. All gentleness gone, he pinions her, taking her roughly. Adela glories in his fury, excited by it. She arches to meet him as he plunges through her. Although her eyes are open, a curtain blinks down, and she is engulfed by darkness. When Delia opens her eyes, she is in her white nest, blinded by the morning sun. She is ashamed, lying naked between the sheets, and isn't sure why. On her pillow is a long, black feather. She regards it, confused, and runs the airy vein through her fingers. A knock sounds, and she drags the sheet to her chin, tucking the black feather under her pillow. Dr. Gainsborough enters without her invitation. He hefts a traditional doctor's bag in one hand. Draped over the other is a spill of creamy cloth. How are you doing this morning? Delia recognizes the jaunty tone, ubiquitous to doctor kind, and is conflicted, both soothed and abraded by it. He nudges aside the discarded IV lines and perches on her bed. Extracting tools from his bag, he checks her blood pressure and shines a light down her throat. His touch is impersonal. Clinical and brisk, but she still shrinks away when he pulls aside the sheet so he may listen to her heart, galloping now. His gaze doesn't linger, though, and when he is done, he tugs the sheet back into place. Everything seems in order, he says. Any memories coming back? No. More gone, perhaps? Well, no worries. Since we don't know of anyone to keep an eye on you, I'd like to keep you here... That is, unless you'd rather convalesce in hospital? Delia shakes her head. Throat still hurts? Would you like some anesthetic spray? No? She's anxious about her voice, knows the risk is greater that she will damage it if she can't feel chafed nerves. I brought you a dress. It belonged to my ex, I'm afraid. I hope you don't mind. Delia shrugs. I'm making omelets. Would you like breakfast in bed, or do you feel strong enough to get up? There is a sardonic note to his voice that she doesn't understand. "'I can come down,' she whispers. He departs to whisk eggs. The dress is pretty, soft against her skin, with swirling skirts and flowing sleeves. The aroma of fresh coffee and warm bread lures her out. In a high-ceilinged room with French doors that overlook the lake, a baby grand piano basks in a beam of sunlight." Forgetting her hunger, Delia drifts to the inviting bench and lifts the keyboard cover. She remembers this. Satin-finished keys beneath her fingers, the surge of notes in her head. She plays. Ravel, isn't it? Dr. Gainsborough leans against the entranceway, wearing a novelty apron patterned like a lab coat. Delia snatches back her hands. Face aflame. Please, don't stop. To her chagrin, he parks himself beside her. He splays his fingers on the keyboard and echoes her truncated Pavane de la Belle au Bois Dormant, except the duet arrangement. She knows this version as well as the solo. Her hands steal to the keys. Delia can no more refrain from playing the counterpart than she can stop her own blood. The piece is short, only twenty measures. He begins... Petit pousse the next composition in the suite, and she is compelled to join in. Halfway through, he disconcerts her by jumping to his feet. Crap, the rolls! He's off and running as she stares. Belatedly, she smells burning. A miniature breaker of discolored air billows in from the kitchen. The smoke alarm shrills, tardy and unhelpful. Hands over her ears, Delia hurries toward the commotion, though it feels unnatural to do so. In a room of stainless steel and gleaming ceramic, Dr. Gainsborough utters a stream of profanity as blue as the air, coughing between breaths. The oven fan whirs, adding its din to the noise pollution, ineffectual despite its racket. A Pyrex baking pan tilts precariously into the sink, its contents exuding a column of smoke while the doctor waves a towel to dissipate it. It is a futile crusade. Delia wants to cower, bolt, and burst into tears, but Adela will not let her. As though prescient, she knows to rummage in the adjoining pantry for the broom. It is a high-end model, heavy, with a rubber handle and an attached dustpan. Adela eschews the comfort grip and chokes low, whacking the smoke alarm. Her swing produces a gratifying crunch and the alarm tips from its spot on the ceiling, dangling from a solitary yellow wire. More importantly, it shuts up. As she deals with the vexing alarm, Dr. Gainsborough has gained ground in his own campaign. He's flung open the window over the sink and started the ceiling fan, adding its whirling blades to his smoke-dispersing arsenal. Holding her breath, Adela dashes to the sink and turns on the faucet, dousing the still-smoldering buns. With the bread extinguished, the crisis is over, and Delia resurfaces. She giggles, and regrets it. Smoke scours her lungs, and she doubles over, racked by coughs. Dr. Gainsborough swears. He half-carries her through the piano room, the French doors, and onto a wooden deck. He abandons her to gasp on a deck chair while he darts back in. He returns with a glass of water, and an olive cylinder, an oxygen tank. Delia accepts the water, but when he begins tweaking metal knobs, she stays him. I'm fine, she rasps. You aspirated a lungful of lake water and now smoke, he protests. Where Delia might have capitulated, Adela is adamant. She shakes her head, and when the doctor seems determined to ignore her, she surges to her feet. I said I'm fine. Delia is aghast at her outburst and immediately bereft. Adela has abandoned her, but at least Dr. Gainsborough has stopped unraveling plastic tubing. She quails and turns her back on his scrutiny. The lake view is breathtaking. Sunlight skims the water, dancing a fairy ballet on the wave tips. I'm sorry, she says, but I can't bear being all wound up in those. Please don't make me. Delia shivers, feeling winter's nip for the first time. Behind her, Dr. Gainsborough approaches and begins rubbing her arms. His touch is electric and unnerving. I'm losing physician points left and right, he says, smoke inhalation and now making you stand out here in the cold. I'll probably catch pneumonia and die, she says, and all the other doctors won't let you join in their reindeer games. He chuckles. Reindeer games aren't what they're made out to be. Why don't we go inside? I think the place might be aired by now. She turns, and he is closer than she expected, close enough to make out the individual hairs of his five o'clock shadow. Delia blushes and backs away. His expression flashes from cool disbelief to tender warmth in the span of a blink. She sidles past, face burning. Within, there is a residual aroma of carbonized dough, but it is tolerable. He goes to close the doors and windows. It puts walls around you, and she creeps straight through into the kitchen and begins scraping the soggy lumps of burned bread down the disposal. You don't have to do that. Delia flinches and hopes he didn't notice. I don't mind. I can finish making breakfast if you like. That has to be the nicest way someone's told me they're afraid my cooking will burn the house down. She offers him a shy smile. "'Do people tell you that often?' he winks. "'Oh, all the time.' He retrieves a package of danish from the refrigerator while she tips the well-scrambled eggs into a skillet. They partner well in the kitchen. Anticipating her, he hands her spatula and plates, and she is likewise attuned to him, thoughtfully clearing off counter space so he may apportion the pastry. The breakfast table is a harmonious tableau. Their conversation is undemanding, the weather, the food, the lake. He watches her eat, but his gaze doesn't discomfit her. Rather, she is flattered. Even when he gives her a pair of yellow pills, she is only curious. "'Antibiotics,' he explains. "'I'd like you to take them for seven more days.' Obedient, she swallows them. As reward, he clears the table and loads the dishwasher. He works, she strays to the piano. Drawn to the promise of song held inside the burnished wooden frame, to the accompanying clatter of flatware in the background, she plays. Not Ravel this time, but Tchaikovsky, a composition of water and sky. Enthralled to the piano, she doesn't hear when he comes in, becomes aware of his warmth at her back only during the coda. As much as I love having my own personal concert pianist, he says, you mustn't wear yourself out. She could play forever. The music flows through her, effortless as sunlight through glass. But she folds her hands in her lap like a good girl and rises from the bench. Do you play professionally? he asks. She ponders the question as she curls onto the sofa. Adela's voice clamors a warning. No, she lies. You could. He reclines beside her. She turns bashful and self-conscious. She doesn't know where to look. I think we should talk, he said. I guess this is my cue to apologize about last night, but I honestly can't say I regret what happened. She is perplexed. Last night? I've just come out of a bad breakup, and when you came in, I'd already polished off most of that bourbon bottle. It was irresponsible of me, and I wasn't thinking clearly. Delia doesn't understand what he's saying. I want to assure you that I'm not in the habit of sleeping with my patients. Granted, these circumstances are a bit different from my usual doctor-patient associations. Regardless, it was unprincipled. Buzzing fills Delia's ears, so loud she can't hear him. This part I probably shouldn't say, but I'm going to anyway. I'm very attracted to you. After you've fully recovered, I hope... That is, I would like to have a chance to get to know you better on a personal level, but while you're patient under my care, it would be unethical to resume what we began last night. The buzzing becomes a hurtful drumbeat in Delia's skull, a pain so intense it paralyzes. She cannot mouth the question she wants to. What is he talking about? A chime peals through the house. Begging her pardon, Dr. Gainsborough exits, and voices emerge from the other room, his and another's. Panic is a wash of ice in her veins, but still she cannot move. Dr. Gainsborough returns. At his side is a strange man, fair where the doctor is dark. The newcomer has tawny hair like unspun flax, and his lanky body vibrates with glad exuberance. Adela, this is Ben Rothbard. I'd forgotten he was coming by today. Ben, this is Adela Branta. Ben extends his hand to her. At last, the mystery woman has a name. The obligations of etiquette loosen the paralysis. Delia stands, letting Ben pump her hand, although she finds his vigor draining. I hear I owe you thanks for saving my life, she says. Ben grins. Nah, it was all Shay here. He delivers a hearty thump to the other man's back. He is the miracle worker. I have said before the guy could do a triple bypass with nothing but a Swiss Army knife and a couple of popsicle sticks. All I did was assist in chopper in the popsicle sticks. She returns his smile, though hers is wan. Well, this ex-popsicle appreciates it. The room becomes a jitter of monocular flatness. Delia sways. The morning's events and her off-on-off migraine have frazzled her, and she is abruptly exhausted. Dr. Gainsborough lays a steadying hand on her shoulder. Whoops! What did I tell you about taking it easy? It's officially nap time for you. Let's get you back to bed. He leads her to her room and tucks her in. She is asleep before he leaves. Delia's dreamscape is a collage of movement and color. She waltzes in a ballroom, the belle of the party. But her dress bleeds, drenched in a patina of viscous red. A disembodied voice shouts at her missteps. Cigarette smoke mingles with the flailing whiplash of plastic hoses attached to an apparatus of clamps and nozzles. The dance becomes a tortured reel. She is a marionette. The puppeteer stretches her over a piano soundboard and pounds out a melody. Each note batters, forcing its way into her body until she is torn by the forte piston of hammer on wire, but the wounds are inside where they don't show. Delia jerks awake. In the dim light of pre-dawn through wooden blinds, she takes in the alien but familiar backdrop of a sumptuous bedroom. Beside her, Dr. Gainsborough stirs. The press of his nakedness against her own. Skin, breath, and cozy warmth. Terrify. Last night is a hole in her head. He reaches for her, strokes a languid hand from hip to breast. Good morning. His words are an intimate whisper in her ear. Remind me never to argue semantics with you. I doubt your definition of fully recovered would stand up to a medical textbooks, but you've thoroughly convinced me. I just hope we didn't wake Ben last night. He chuckles, low and soft. Screw that. I hope we did. Serve him right for all those times he kicked me out of the dorm when he had a date over. His hand glides to her thigh. What say we give it the old college try and make sure he doesn't sleep in? No. Delia struggles to escape and gives a stifled cry of relief when he releases her. I... I should go. Dr. Gainsborough sighs. I suppose you're right, I do have to work with the bastard. She flees. When she achieves the false security of her white nest, she crumples. Her tears saturate the pillow, but although sobs rack her with the force of machine-gun strafe, she makes no sound. She cannot remember why, but it is a rule. If she cries, it must be silent. When she is empty of tears, Delia wraps a sheet around her shoulders and locks herself in the cool elegance of the guest bathroom. As the shower spits a waterfall of steam, she confronts the red-eyed woman in the mirror. You're going insane, her reflection informs her. Stark, raving batty. And also, you've got feathers. Bewildered, Delia combs several black feathers from her hair. They aren't as long as the one she found yesterday, but there are more. She counts five and pulls a final quill free. Six. Peering close, she probes the line of her part. At her scalp, a row of black pin feathers protrudes from delicate sheaths. Nonplussed, she retreats from the mirror. In the shower, curls of pubic hair swirl down the drain, leaving behind fluffy black down between her legs. The soap catches on the underside of her arms, and her fingertips discover the bristling points of feather follicles pushing through. She knows these developments should alarm her, but instead she's eased, Feathers are the finest insulation. There is a white terry cloth robe hanging on the door, a man's. On her, its hem brushes the ground, and she must roll up the sleeves to find her hands. Still, it is better than a sheet. Emerging from the bathroom, she hears voices in heated discussion. You fucked her! Ben, astonished and indignant, What about Lydia? Of the three of us, you, me, and your sister. You're the only one still chasing that dream. Lydia and me, we're through. But you don't know anything about this woman. Sure, she's hot. But who is she? Don't you find this amnesia line awfully convenient? Damsel in distress with no one to turn to, nowhere to go. It's got Scam the Millionaire stamped all over it. Delia is sure the thud of her heart will give her away. Of course, Dr. Gainsborough's voice is mocking. How could I not see it? The drowning and hypothermia, the cardiac arrest. She was after my money all along. Okay, I'll give you far fetched there, but just think about what you're doing. Doctors do not sleep with patients. You know the ethics committee would go ape shit. They'd revoke your medical license faster than you could say media feeding frenzy. She could sue you or worse, blackmail you. It's not like that, Ben. "'I think Adela's the one. "'My feelings for her are more intense "'than anything I ever felt for Lydia while we were dating. "'You've known this woman for less than a week, "'and she was in a coma for most of it. "'I know. "'But there's a genuine innocence about her "'that's just so poignant and so... so real. "'She has this sort of fragile, graceful way of moving "'that knocks me loopy. "'When I'm around her, all I want to do is protect her. "'At the same time, I'm going nuts if I can't touch her.' And in bed, my God, the things she can do. She, okay, whoa, that's enough, big fella. You're bragging now. Laughter, maybe a little. But you have to understand, there's not a duplicitous bone in her body. Give her a chance and you'll see. Delia tiptoes back to her room, her head filled with droning confusion. She sits on the bed, lost in oversized folds of terry cloth. She loves me. It is an exaltation, but not hers. Delia howls in a ball. What now? Adela is impatient. Didn't you hear? He wants to protect us. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us. And what a ride that boy is too. The feel of him between our thighs. And the way his back bows during orgasm. So totally sexy. Adela rattles on replaying the sensual details of her trysts with Dr. Gainsborough. Delia plasters her hands over her ears, but she can't block out Adela's voice. Stop it, she pleads. That's dirty talk. We mustn't. Adela takes pity on her. Fine. Be that way. But don't you like him, too? He's nice, and he plays the piano. Delia uncovers her ears. It's true. He is kind. And he has elegant hands. But what about the other thing, the nightmares and the hurts? What about the bad thing? Adela is silent. She doesn't have all the answers, either. A polite rapping brings Delia's head whipping up. Yes? The door creaks open. Dr. Gainsborough peeks in. Are you coming out, or would you like to stay in bed today? There is a glitter in his eyes that makes Delia wish Adela were there. Ben's putting together breakfast, making sure I don't set the house on fire. "'I don't have anything to wear,' she murmurs. "'I borrowed your robe. "'And adorable you look in it, too. "'But I agree we need to get you some clothing, "'which brings up the rest of the day. "'Ben's informed me that one of my patients is being troublesome. "'I've got to chop her into town to check on her. "'While I'm there, I thought I'd pick up some clothes for you "'if you trust my taste. "'Is there anything in particular you'd like me to get?' "'You're leaving me alone?' Delia is dismayed. "'Can't I come with you?' "'You're still recuperating, sweetness, "'despite your persuasive nighttime arguments to the contrary. "'It's a fair drive to the heliport, "'and the chopper ride isn't exactly a walk in the park. "'Besides, I'm going to be in surgery most of the day.' "'Oh,' Dr. Gainsborough crosses the room. "'Kneeling, he frames her face with his hands "'and delivers a gentle, chaste kiss on her mouth. "'Don't worry. You won't be alone.' Ben's going to keep you company while I'm gone. Me and him go way back, and he's a very capable physician. He'll take good care of you. I made him promise not to bite. He is so earnest. It is contagious and irresistible. She returns his smile. That's my girl. I'll... I'll miss you. His storm-gray eyes soften. Adela surfaces, crowing. He is putty, babe. Keep it up. Delia shoves her aside, and she resubmerges. "'Adela, I know we've just met and everything about our relationship is irregular, but I'd like you to have something.' He fumbles in his pocket and produces a velvet box. Within is a circle of antique filigree, white gold topped by a fiery jewel. Delia stares. "'It's my great-grandmother's cocktail ring. My mother gave it to me to give to the woman I intended to marry— I would be in heaven if you agreed to be my wife, but you don't have to give me an answer now. I know this is sudden, but yes or no, I want you to have it." It is Adela who reaches for the ring, puts it on. Panic-stricken, Delia flies at her, forcing her to retreat. Even so, the ring stays on. "'It's beautiful,' Delia murmurs. "'But you barely know me. I barely know me. What if I turn out to be someone different from who you think I am? Impossible. You're Adela, and I love you. The pancakes are getting cold. Ben's voice interrupts them, breaking into the troubling progression of Delia's thoughts. Dr. Gainsborough offers her his hand, and she accompanies him to the kitchen. Ben is surrounded by mounds of flapjacks. More sizzle on the grill beside a pitcher of warming syrup. In a flawless choreography, he flips pancakes, fetches a trio of mugs from a cupboard, and pours coffee from a burbling pot. It is obvious that he is well acquainted with this kitchen's layout. Christ, how many starving African nations did you invite for breakfast? Dr. Gainsborough joins the dance, depositing plates on the table and pouring milk into a porcelain creamer. They move in practiced synchrony. Delia is afraid to intrude, "'and she feels left out standing in the corridor. "'It is Ben who appears at her side "'and escorts her to her chair. "'Poor adella has been on an IV drip "'and then subjected to the hazards of your cooking. "'I figure she's probably ready to gnaw her own arm off.' "'He drops a napkin in her lap "'and is away before she remembers to thank him. "'In short order, he deposits a tower of pancakes on her plate, "'a mug of coffee, and a glass of juice. "'Dr. Gainsborough sets out the now-warm syrup.' "'Can I help?' she asks. "'Nah. We've got everything covered. Why don't you go ahead and eat before your food gets cold?' Delia doesn't want to. She was taught that it's bad manners not to wait until everyone is served. But she also doesn't know what to do with her hands or where to look. It unsettles her, saying these two men working so diligently to serve her. Adela, exasperated, rescues her. She stirs sugar and milk into her coffee, pours a runnel of syrup— and applies fork and knife to the topmost layer of pancakes. They are luscious, fluffy rapture dissolving on her tongue like maple-flavored snowflakes. She discovers she is ravenous and tucks in. The men join her only after she has devoured her sizable portion. The attentive co-host, Ben, plunks another stack on the remains of her first. "'See? You were starving her,' he says. "'Not true,' Adela protests around a mouthful. It's these pancakes. They're amazing. Best I've ever had. They should be illegal. The men laugh, and all is restful, the quiet punctuated by the clink of silverware and the sounds of chewing. Delia treasures this moment, blankets herself in an aura of well-being and comfort. It is a sort of release, the absence of fear. She knows it is fleeting, but for now, she is at peace." The swan's words come to her. "Peace of heart or a piece of heart. And her appetite is gone, switched off. She swallows the bite in her mouth and washes it down with juice. It tastes of ashes and brine. Dr. Gainsborough finishes too and rises. If I don't skedaddle, the control tower will give me hell. A likely excuse, Ben says. You just want to saddle me with the dishes. Again. I'll do them, Delia offers. It's only fair you cooked. Dr. Gainsborough frowns. No way, Missy. I want you to take it easy. Ben's job while I'm gone is to wait on you hand and foot. But doctor's orders. Give it up, honey, Ben laughs. He's got his stern doctor face on. Leaving Ben to his good-natured grousing, Delia trails after Dr. Gainsborough as he collects wallet, keys, and little black bag. At the door, he kisses her goodbye. It is neither chaste nor gentle, and Delia is flustered, but Adela isn't. She wraps her arms around his neck and matches his ardor with enthusiasm. At last, breath ragged and face flushed, he pulls away. Another one of those who misses Leahy in her angioplasty can go hang. Happy to oblige, Adela offers herself to him, but he sets her aside albeit with reluctance, and drives off. As she gazes after his dwindling taillights, Ben enters, drawing his hands on a towel. Thou is the same, he says. He gets the girl and I get the dishes. Delia's face burns. I really would have been happy to do them. And risk the wrath of Shay? Nah. Hey, you know I'm only kidding, right? I don't really mind. The piano beckons, and Delia gives in. Perching on the bench, she wrestles the robes over long sleeves to her elbows. Ben's eyes narrow and fix on the ornate curlicue of white gold adorning her finger. He frowns at the blood-red facets. Delia buries her hands in terry cloth pockets, but it's too late. You're wearing Shay's family ring, he says. He gave it to me, she mumbles, guilty as a child with illicit sweets. "'Ben looms close. "'You should know something. "'Shay is like a brother to me. "'The cheery banter from breakfast is gone. "'He's pulled me through some rough times, "'and I won't let anyone hurt him.' "'Does he mean her?' "'Adela is indignant. "'He's a rich man,' Ben continues. "'There have been girls in the past "'who've wanted to take advantage of his generosity "'and part him from chunks of it. "'He's been nicer about it than I would have been.' "'What would you have done?' Adela asks, seething. "'Kick them to the curb and send a pack of snarling lawyers after them?' She lifts her eyes to meet Ben's glower head-on. "'Good. Shay's too decent for the likes of gold-digging sluts. "'I'm glad he has a friend like you to watch out for his best interests.' Ben is taken aback by her vehemence and her reply. Shay's happiness means a lot to me.' "'It means a lot to me, too.' He studies her, intent and searching. "I get that." Adela is mollified, but a simmering undercurrent remains. Delia, diplomat and mediator, nudges her aside. "Do you play the piano?" She frees her hands. "They have nothing to hide," Adela declares. "Not a note. I love music, though; my c d collection could fill this room. She tells me you're quite the accomplished pianist." She lowers her eyes he did. Will you play something for me? For a change, Delia doesn't need to be coaxed. What should she play? Something clever and quick. Her fingers touch the keys and the opening measures of Bach's Invention four in D minor ripple out. It is a good choice. She enjoys the articulate fingering and the playful chase of notes. But it is too short, over too fast and Prelude and Fugue in C minor is underway before she realizes she has decided to keep playing. She loves how the Prelude begins so somber, and then brightens as it approaches the higher registers, and how the solemn fugue builds to a busy brilliance, diving to a glorious finish. The music swells in her, a twinge that becomes an ache. It wants out, a caged bird beating its wings against the bars of her body. She hasn't the will to deny it. When the fugue ends, she segues to Ave Maria and unlocks the cage. Released, the bird takes wing, lifting from her throat in a crystalline soprano. Her voice has recovered from its plunge in the lake and the doctor's endotracheal tube. It soars in a swirl of foreign syllables, reverent and haunting, buoying her with it. Ave Maria, erhere einer Jungfrau flehen. The words are meaningless, musical contours and nothing more. Adela knows what they mean. "'Hail, Mary, heed a maiden's prayer,' she murmurs a bleak undercurtain beneath Delia's euphoria. "'Thou canst hear through the wilderness, thou canst save amid despair.' Adela's recitation produces a flashbulb pop of memories. An afternoon in a cramped room, foam shells plastering the walls. Delia sings, but takes no joy in it. She is tired, exhausted, but the presence in the other room won't let her stop. Do it again. Get it right. Safe may we sleep beneath thy care. She's frightened, always. She thought when the money came it would be better, but it's not. He is suspicious. He won't let them take her picture, hides her away from the cameras, makes her wear veils and masks. Though banished, outcast, and reviled, O Virgin, see a maiden's sorrow. O Mother, hear a suppliant child. He comes to her at night. His face is no longer obscured by an impressionist study of reflected light, the puppeteer from her nightmares, cigarette smoke and shame. Adela protects her, but when he's done, they both weep noiseless tears. Ave Maria, undefiled, hear a maiden's prayer and for a father, here a child. She remembers what she did, the bad thing that drove her to a freezing lake on a winter night. The pain is punishing, blinding. She slumps over the keyboard, clutching her head. There's a knife behind her eyes, twisting in the gray matter, a hot poker, a zinc-white spike. Adela, Christ, what is it? She has all but forgotten the man at her shoulder, When he reaches for her, she cries out, writhing away from the solicitous touch. She tumbles off the bench, landing hard. Ben bends to help, and she shrieks. He is too like the other man standing over her. She scuttles back until she is pressed into a corner. Ben speaks, but his words slur into a senseless gabble juxtaposed with the voice from her dreams. He fumbles with something that glitters like an icicle in the sun and edges closer. Delia and Adela are bottlenecked. Delia would beg him to leave her alone, give her a moment to repair her tattered sanity, and Adela would tell him to back off. He's freaking her out. But the only thing that comes out is a babble of pleading no's. The icicle plunges down through terrycloth folds and pierces her thigh. Ben drives the plunger down, filling her veins with ice. She whimpers and sinks into darkness. Delia remains locked in a soporific void, but Adela is awake. The shadows are long, shading her white nest a murky purple. She hears a voice, bends, and rises, drawn moth-like to investigate. Concealed by night's advance, she eavesdrops outside the door. Stable, and still be asleep when you get here. I stuck her enough with mid-Daisolan to keep her out until tomorrow. Shit, you think I wanted to? I thought she was going to seize. No, listen to me. She's stable for now, so don't wrap your car around a tree. But she's not who you think she is. I heard her sing. She's Delia Signet. The Delia Signet. Fuck, would it kill you to turn on a television? She's only the most famous diva in the world. While well, with everyone banging to get a look at her, and now this hubbub. Shay, this is major. They've gotten all points on her. Think O.J. except substitute her dad for Nicole Brown. Adela wields the high-end broom like a cudgel. Retrieved from its new location, propped beneath the broken smoke alarm, it is a familiar weight in her hands. Ben's skull crunches like the defunct alarm, and he topples. Adela clubs him again, just to be sure. Last time... She'd smashed the champagne bottle into Daddy's face until it was a staved-in pulp. But Ben's not family. She retrieves the cell phone from where it dropped out of limp fingers and clacks it shut. The tinny squawks on the other end cut off. Adela pauses at the piano, gently pulling the cover over gleaming keys. Delia slips off the ruby ring and sets it on the mute instrument. Through the French doors, the full moon floats in a blue-black sky, a gleaming beacon warning travelers to beware. The wooden dock is a slab of ice beneath her bare feet, but she doesn't feel it. When there are no more planks to cross, Delia unknots the terrycloth sash and lets the robe spill away. Adela, don't! The anguished shout echoes across the water. He has flouted stoplights, speed limits, and common sense to get here. Shay Gainsborough sprints to stop her, to save her, but he is too late. Delia flings herself from the platform. She hangs in the air for a heartbeat, silhouetted by a nimbus of moonlight. Then she opens her wings. With a powerful stroke of black pinions, she rises aloft. A white swan swoops to meet her matching her beat for beat and the two swans one black one white soar across the lake they look back once in unison at the dwindling figure on the dock the man falls to his knees his face lifted his features twist as he calls to them they vanish into the night sky a melody drifts to the grieving man a duet Delia and Adela's song is a threnody of heartbreak, despair, and sorrow, and then it, too, is gone.
1: I'm a sucker for balance in fiction, and I'm a sucker for balance as metaphor and simile. I'm a sucker for counterparts so I love this male and female, black and white, ground and air are all used by Yuji as the building blocks for a story which is elemental and at the same time is about what happens when you cross to the other side gain a new perspective change the elements of your life, of your worldview. the idea that travel changes you, the idea that simply by moving a little to the left you can alter your psychological perspective is as interesting as it is daunting Change through motion. Motion that incites change. The sound of swan wings beating in the pre-dawn sky. Looked at this way, there are lines and ideas in this story that become redolent with tension, and the reference to the far side of the lake in particular implies, to me at least, something a lot more than the other side of a large body of water. This, my friends, is what happens when you live on a terminus, on an edge between two elements, but not quite of either. This is where the swans fly, and if you're very lucky or unlucky, you will see them go when they do. If you're incredibly lucky or unlucky, they'll see you. The rules are different here on the Edge. Metaphor becomes motion and motion becomes agenda, and the end result is a story which is as mercurial and changeable, as graceful and as dangerous and as full of motion contained, for now, as the swans themselves. This is the sort of fantasy I'm growing to love, metaphor combining with action to create a skewed view of the world so subtle you don't know it's skewed until it's far too late. This is, to paraphrase Morpheus, the world being pulled over your eyes by a superb writer. And I absolutely love it. Anyway, that's quite enough from me, so I'm going to hand you over to your incomparable fearless co-leader, Mr. David Aloysius Thompson, first Sky Marshal of the Middle Americas. Thanks for having me, Dave. Just... You probably want to refresh the cookie plate, okay? Just saying.
0: Hey, thanks, Al. Great to have you here again, man. Just get your hands away from those cookies. Unless you want this to turn into a real pot episode. Okay, let's hit feedback for CSC Cooney's Braiding the Ghosts, read by Kara Grace. Generally, despite the dead cat, you all seem to really enjoy it. Max said it was a magnificent story. I was entirely absorbed in this world where non-corporeal ghosts can manipulate corporeal objects, including the living. A twisted tale of love, hate, sex, and haunted houses. Does it get any better? Fire Turtle said, Honestly, I was able to get over the wholesale kitty slaughter and enjoy the story a whole heck of a lot. I really got lost in there. When it ended, I was totally taken aback that I had forgotten I was just listening to Podcastle and not one of my Audible books. Yay for the Way Cool Ghost Story. You guys rock. Thanks very much for those comments. We'd love to hear what you thought about this week's story, so please sign up at forum.escapeartist.net and say hi. That's our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. Podcast was made up of assistant editor Anne Leckie, sound producer Peter Wood, forum mages Talia and Aussie co-host Alistair Stewart, and your graceful and graceless editors, Anna Schwend and myself. On behalf of all of us, I'd like to thank you for letting us share another story with you. We'll be back in one week with a story about love and death by Silvia Morena-Garcia. Until then, keep on dancing. We'll see you next time.
2: Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. You can discuss this episode of PodCastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartist.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site.
0: Joan Crawford said, Love is a fire but whether it is going to warm your hearth or burn down your house, you can never tell.